Good morning, church. Good morning. What a great morning of worship. Wow. I just love being in the presence of God with you and just singing our praises to Him. And man, God is moving. God is working. Well, this morning we come to the conclusion of an awesome series. It's a series called Battle Plan. And we've been talking about that we're in the middle of an epic battle. Uh, we all are. It's a battle bigger than World War I or World War II. It's a battle that's unseen. Uh, yet it's a battle that our world knows. Our world feels. It's this battle between good versus evil. And, and even people who aren't believers or aren't Christians, you know, they know that we're in a battle. I mean, that's why you see the biggest movies of all time, right? You know, Star Wars, the Dark Side, you, you feel this battle, or the biggest books, and like Harry Potter, or you, you see comics when there's the Avengers. There's always this good versus evil. There's always this struggle. Why? But because we all know it's real. We all know what's happening. Now, for us as believers, we also look around and we see evil in this world. We look and see ISIS beheading Christians, and we go, wow. Or Boko Haram kidnapping schoolgirls, and we're like, wow, that's evil. Or we look in our own hearts and these own desires, and we think, God, there's evil. We, we know that. And in our world, we try to pass it off as something comical. You know, you got Satan with a little pitchfork and a red suit. You know, yeah, yeah. But, but we all know, we all know, we all know that we're fighting a battle. Many of us are feeling it. Maybe you're fighting a battle today. And you know it's not just against flesh and blood. There's something more that's happening. And yet God, God says, I'm with you. I care about you. You're not alone. Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now who's the thief? That's Satan. Right? He comes to steal our joy. He comes to kill our relationships. He comes to destroy our lives. I mean, it's real. And yet Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I want you to succeed, Jesus says. I want you to have a great marriage. I want you to have a great future marriage. I want you to raise great kids. I want you to fulfill God's plans and God's purposes for your life. I want you to succeed. But we're in the middle of a battle. So what's our plan? Now, the first week in the series, we went back to the very beginning, and we talked about the origin of evil and where that came from. I looked at Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and we saw, saw that God created man for a relationship with him. And then in chapter 3, man sins. Man rebels against God. God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And sin enters into this world. And Satan, the tempter, right? This, this reptile, this serpent. The second week we talked about why does God even allow evil? I mean, God in his sovereignty, why, why does he even allow evil in this world? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That one day God will say enough, and we'll see that today. But in the meantime, God is drawing people to himself. God is inviting people. God is redeeming, and God is restoring. God is at work. And so last week we talked about how do we fight in this battle. And we saw Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That the devil's schemes, and whether it's distraction or doubt or worry or fear, we, we have all these battles that we're fighting and the Bible says, hey, suit up. Suit up. Put on the belt of truth. Right? The breastplate of righteousness. So you get your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Come on. Have the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the Spirit and pray on all occasions. And then today we're talking about this. What ultimately happens to evil? In the very end, what's ultimately going to happen? How is evil going to be destroyed? And we'll see that today. Now today we're going to look in the book of Revelation, so spoiler alert, here you go, God wins, all right? So praise God, so we're going to jump into it today, Revelation chapter 20, 
Revelation chapter 20. Revelation, last book of the Bible, and we're going to be in Revelation 20 and 21. Maybe if you don't have a Bible with you, you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online. We'll also put the scripture on the screen. Revelation is this incredible book of the Bible. It's where God invited the Apostle John and kind of peeled back the curtains of heaven and said, hey, John, look up. Look at what's going to happen and then write it down. Make sure people know. I want them to know. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 just says a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means the unveiling. So here we have the unveiling of Jesus. Here it is, the triumph, the victory, the great I am. So pick up in Revelation chapter 20. Look at what happens to evil in verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. That's Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where he, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. Wow. Isn't that awesome? And God says, here's how it's all going to happen. Here's how it's all going to go down. <laughs> there will be ultimate victory for God. Now, when we look at the end times, this is called the study of eschatology. Eschatology. And we don't talk about eschatology a whole lot, right? We, we talk more about Christology. We talk about Jesus. We talk about, you know, how to live in salvation. But eschatology is important. It's important for us to know how everything's going to happen. And God says, I want you to know this. And so we see throughout Scripture, you know, you can go to the book of Daniel, you can go to Isaiah, you can go to Ezekiel, you can go to Zechariah, you can go to Matthew, Jesus, and we'll see there in a little bit. Jesus talks so much about the end times, revelation. Throughout Scripture, God's saying, hey, you be ready. You be prepared because I'm coming. <laughs> And I want to tell you how it's going to end. Now, when it comes to the book of Revelation, a lot of times what I find is there's two different opinions. Some people are just enamored with the book of Revelation, right? And they're looking for signs all the time. 
They're like, yep, they're the Antichrist. I know it. You know, it's like <laughs> everybody's the Antichrist, right? And somebody over here is the Antichrist. And then, you know, well, that's the mark of the beast. You know, they got the mark of the beast. And it's just they're, they're obsessed, right? Or those are the two witnesses. You know, here we go. And they've got it all laid out or played out. Other people kind of shy away from the book of Revelation. They're like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand it. So I'm going to just kind of leave it over there. But it's important. It's important for us to know how it's all going to end and how it's all going to happen. Here's what N.T. Wright says. N.T. Wright says this. He says, we live in the present as people who will be made complete in the future. So what N.T. Wright is saying, yeah, we're living in this world, but this world's not our home. Our home is an eternity. You know, th this life that we live is like a blip on the radar, right? 70, 80, 90 years. You know, that's like, boom. And then there's eternity. I mean, you know, it goes on a long time. I mean, our lives, boom, you know, and then eternity. And so he's like, hey, you think about your life in light of eternity. Think about what is to come. Eugene Peterson said, the biblical story began quite logically with a beginning. Now it draws to an end also with a beginning. The sin-ruined creation of Genesis is restored in the sacrifice-renewed creation of Revelation. The story that has creation for its first word has creation for its last word. See, I love that. Why? Because God is making all things new. Therefore, you never lose hope. Right? And therefore, you stay strong in the Lord. Therefore, you have purpose and power even in this life because you know God is at work. I mean, don't those words just tug at your heart? That God will wipe away every tear from your eyes? That there'll be no more death? No more mourning? No more sorrow? Don't you long for a world like this? Yes! We're like, I can't wait, God! Because inside of you, God created you for eternity. And so often we settle for what's so little <laughs> when God's doing so much more. So how's this all going to play out, right? I mean, how's this all going to go as you look at the end times? Well, we have a little diagram for you today. And, and so if you're taking notes and you want to write this down or if you want to do this in your worship guide, but just kind of give you a heads up about the end times. As you look at Scripture, God says, write this down. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. So here's the timeline, right, for all of history. And first of all, we start off and we've got creation. So God created God made the world, right? God made all the animals and God made you. God created you for a purpose. You were created not as an accident, right? You were created for a relationship with Him. In fact, your life is kind of out of sorts until you come into that relationship with God. That, that's what God's doing in your life. So creation happens, God creates, and then man rebels. And the Old Testament is all about God pursuing man. God drawing man back into a relationship with him. God carved out a people for himself, right? Remember Abraham and Abraham as he just, you know, go and leave your country, your people, and, and go to a land I will show you, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. God starts carving out the Israelites to bring the Messiah. So everything in the Old Testament is leading up to this, the cross. Everything in the Old Testament here is preparing the people and preparing the world for Jesus coming. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, that's not a newsflash to any of us, 
you're probably like, I sinned this morning, you know, I mean, it's like, we've all sinned, right, we've all sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible also says the wages of sin is death, that's eternal separation from God, the wages of sin is death, but, the Bible keeps going, I love that but right there, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that Jesus came and paid the price for you and for me, praise God, all of history is leading up to this. All of history since looking back to this. Salvation. Jesus split history in two. B.C. A.D. Our whole world knows it. Christ. It comes back to Jesus. So if you're here today and you're trying to do a lot of good works to get to God, I just got to tell you this. You're never going to be good enough to get to God. That's why God sent His Son. He paid the price for you and for me. And because of the grace that we receive at the cross, we then are declared righteous because we are covered in Christ. And God looks at us, and we are redeemed and restored. Praise be to God. So Christ comes, and then you got this, the church age. Okay? We're living in the church age. We're living as Jesus died on the cross, was crucified for us, but he was resurrected. He conquered death. The big bully on the block for which everybody was afraid, Jesus conquered death. We don't have to live in fear of death anymore. We will see our loved ones again. That's awesome. And we are living now in this church age. Pentecost, Holy Spirit, we are right here. Now the Bible is very clear about this. What's going to happen at some point is this, the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period where it, it's just, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's terrible. I mean, it's horrible. Now, we're not exactly when this is coming, but we know that there will be a seven-year period called the tribulation. And the Bible talks about this. I mean, Revelation 6 through 18, if you've been taking a daily step and reading the Bible, we've been in this. So Revelation 1 through 5 talks about Jesus talking to this church, and then 6 through 18 is all about what's going to happen in the tribulation. You go to the book of Daniel. This is going to be a terrible time. All kinds of things are going to be happening there. And then what happens is this, the rapture. The rapture. Now, the rapture, the word rapture is not written in Scripture, but you can go to 1 Thessalonians and throughout, that at some point during the tribulation that God's going to come for his church, and we'll be raptured. Maybe you read the whole Left Behind series. You remember that whole series? Two people working in the field, and one of them, whoop, they're gone. You know, like, hey, what happened? Well, they were a believer, and they're just like, God takes them home. Now, seminaries, denominations, everybody differs on... When is this going to happen? You know, is this pre-trib? Right, that's kind of the lingo, right? Pre-tribulation, so believers don't have to go through the tribulation. Is this mid-trib? You know, about three and a half years into it, then the rapture comes. Or is this post-trib? You know, after the tribulation, you know, the believers are going to go through the tribulation as well. Uh, I mean, I, I think that at some point, believers are going to be in the middle of the tribulation. Because how are people going to know about God if there's not believers around to tell them, like, hey, this is really tough, this is really hard, but there's a God who is greater. At some point, though, during this tribulation, the rapture will happen. And then it's all coming to a climax. And the Bible's really clear. After this seven-year period, Satan's rallying all the nations, Satan's rallying all the thing, and he's going to make an onslaught against God. And it's all going to come down. And if you go through Scripture, this is, this is so powerful. But at some point, all the armies of the world are going to come, and we're going to have what's called Armageddon. Now, I've, I've been to Israel about five times. We're actually taking a biblical study tour again this fall. And I've stood at Megiddo. Megiddo is this old tell right there over the valley of Armageddon. 
And Armageddon is a place in the world, literal place right there outside of Jerusalem, where more blood has been shed than any other place in the world. More people have died in that. I mean, it is a land bridge between Europe and Russia and Asia and Africa. So it's all coming down right there. And the Bible's clear. Armageddon is going to happen. And, and all of it's going to look overwhelming coming toward Israel. What's going to happen there? But then, here we go, the second coming. And Jesus is going to come back. Now, I love this. Because when Jesus came the first time, he came in his humility. He came in grace. He was born of a virgin. He was born as a baby. He lived 33 sinless years. But he was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted. He went through all the temptations that we go through. He can identify with what we're facing today. But he died on a cross. You know, fully God, fully man. But when Jesus comes the second time, nobody's missing him. I'm just telling you, nobody's missing him. I mean, there's trumpets. It's boom. And when Jesus comes back, in his second coming. The Bible tells us, go to Revelation 19 if you want to and spend some time there, that Satan and evil is taken and there's a giant chain wrapped around and Satan is thrown in the abyss. This serpent, when you go back to Genesis 3, the serpent, right? In Revelation, the devil's called a serpent. The serpent is taken in a chain and he is thrown there for a thousand years. And this is called the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ. A thousand years of peace. A thousand years. And then... After that, we have this, the final judgment. Now, the final judgment, we were just seeing that in Revelation chapter 20. At the final judgment, there'll be a time when Satan is released. And he will go and deceive other nations. And, and they'll come against God. And God will take him and throw him in the lake of fire. And there will be no more evil. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. I think what's going to happen here, too, this is, this is interesting. But a lot of people wonder, you know, where is Israel in all of this, Right? You know, and even today, you have the whole political situation with Israel. And, and so where's Israel in all this? I believe God's faithful to his promise. And if you look there at Revelation chapter 20, when it seems overwhelming, there will be a time when Israel will turn back to God. You can go to Romans chapter 11 and verses 25, 26, 27 and unpack that there. And there'll be a time when they look up and say, wait a minute, he is God. And Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so you have, as we know through scripture, we're the engrafted branch you're going to see what's going to happen there. And then after the final judgment, we have this, the new heaven and new earth. <laughs> the new heaven and new earth. Now, I love, as God says, I'm making all things new. Uh, imagine with me. Imagine this. Imagine the earth when God created it. And imagine it without sin. Imagine it without decay. Imagine it without brokenness and hurt. And pain. Imagine it being renewed. The Bible says that God comes and dwells with his people. Can you imagine being back on the earth, right? When you die, you immediately go to heaven, and you'll, you'll face, you'll stand before God, and God will say, why shall I let you in my kingdom? But imagine now coming with God back to the earth when it's made new. You know, you always want to go see New Zealand. I mean, imagine being able to go do that. You know, imagine being able to go and see the things that God created that are just perfect. Imagine being able to dwell with God. Imagine being fully known and fully accepted. Imagine being in right relationship with other people. Imagine not having shame or worry or fear. That's what God is doing. That's what God is doing. And God's saying it's all leading up to this. 
Don't just settle for this world. Don't just think, oh man, right now I've got to have everything under control. No, understand that God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. And God is sovereign over all. Look with me at Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So what the Bible says is the grace of God that brings salvation, right? This is Christ. And if you're here today, man, you've just been far from God, and somebody invited you today, I want to tell you this, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to you, to all men. A lot of times we're like, well, what about other people in the world? Well, it says in the book of Romans, for since the creation of the world, God's divine qualities have been clearly seen, so that all men are without excuse, that there's a call, that God is drawing people to himself. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. So here we are in this present age. And it says to you and to me to live our lives for Christ. This is salvation. This is sanctification. That God is maturing you. See, God's goal for your life and God's goal for my life is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. So if you look at your life, can you say, hey, I'm maturing spiritually. Can you look at your life from a year ago or five years ago and see how you are growing? Now, not that you're perfect, none of us are, right? But are you maturing? Are you more patient than you used to be? Do you not get as angry or blow up? Are you more kind? Are you growing in love? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. See, we are waiting for the blessed hope. We are waiting. Now, this is not a passive waiting. This is an active waiting that we are involved in what God's doing, the glorious appearing of our great and God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God says, hey, I'm going to take care of all the details. You hold on to me and you trust me. So in light of what's ultimately going to happen to evil, in light of all this, what, what is our plan? What is our plan? How are we called to live? How are we called to grow and become all that God desires? Well, there's five things, and I'm going to look at the very words of Jesus. The first of all, a light of evil being eliminated. Number one is this, be ready. <laughs> be ready. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 36. These are the very words of Christ, all of these. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. He says, he says nobody knows when I'm coming back. I'm coming back, but nobody knows when. It's interesting, isn't it, how... We always are trying to pick, when is Jesus come back? When is that second coming? And, and a lot of people, Y2K, remember Y2K? Everybody was like, this is it, right? Jesus is coming back. Or, or 2012, remember the Mayan calendar? Like, this is it, you know, get, get ready right here. There was a guy, you know, who used to always pick dates. You remember that guy, you know? And I think God was like, oh, you think it's going to be this date? Not really. You know, and he just kind of moved it, you know, just so this guy's out there. I mean, God only knows. God is going to send his son in his timing. But here's what Jesus says in verse 44. He says, guys, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. So let me ask you this. Are you ready? If Jesus were to come tonight, are you ready? 
maybe in your life you go, ah, come on, <laughs> I don't want him to come tonight. You know, I, there's some things in my life, man, there's some regrets. Maybe there's somebody I need to forgive. Maybe God's been calling me to <laughs> take a next step, to be baptized or to serve or to do something. And oh, I, Are you ready? Jesus said, hey, be ready. And what if we lived our lives like, hey, Jesus, you can come anytime because I'm ready. I'm ready. The second thing I think that Jesus wants us to know is this. Invest your life and invest in what will last. Invest in what will last. You know, so often we invest in the temporary, but, but Jesus says invest in things that are eternal. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Jesus goes, I'm coming back and I'm going to come in my glory and all the angels are coming with me. He will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory and all the nations will gather before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Remember the final judgment. Here he is. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus goes, you have an opportunity right now to invest in things that will last. And so often we invest in the temporary, don't we? We, we invest here. When I was in the Amazon a couple weeks ago, and there was a pastor, Pastor Cosme. And we said, Pastor Cosme, what, what's been the most encouraging thing that's happened in your village, in your ministry over the last year? He said, oh, it's been amazing. He said, there's so many people who've accepted Christ. We've seen marriages saved. We, we've seen kids. I mean, we're, we're seeing them being protected. It's been great. My house was washed away by the flood, but, but ministry has been great. And I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute, what? Your house was washed away. He goes, oh, yeah, the house was washed away. But it's okay. We're staying with friends. And I've got a bigger home in heaven. I was like, that's a hold for perspective. I mean, for most of us, we're like, I want to build a bigger house here, right? I mean, I got to upgrade. You know, I got to here. This guy's going, wait a minute. No, I'm going to invest in things that are going to last. Eternity, right? I'm going to invest in things that are going to last. Are you investing in things that will last? Are we taking care of the least, the last, the lost? Are we investing in those who are broken and hurting? How are we living our lives? Here's number three I think Jesus wants us to know is this. Share the gospel. <laughs> Share the gospel. Verse 14 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. What he's saying is this, when all the nations hear about me, then I'm going to come back. And so you and I have a job to do. You and I have a calling. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. There was another pastor, Pastor Francisco, and he was telling us when he accepted Christ, he was a young man. 
And people in his village were praying for him, and he gave his life to Christ. And then he started thinking about, he has nine brothers and sisters. And he said, I just wanted to be sure that they knew Jesus. And it took me several years, but every one of my brothers and sisters came to know Christ. I was like, wow. I mean, we'll tell people about a sale. We'll tell people about a football game. You know, we'll tell people about a great restaurant. But how often do we tell people about what's really going to last? How many conversations do we have? I was reading an article the other day, and this guy was saying, he goes, you know, when we get to heaven, a lot of us think, hey, I can't wait to talk to the disciples. I can't wait to talk to, you know, the early church fathers and say, what was it like when Jesus was on the earth? What was it like, right, I mean, at the cross? What was it like when Pentecost happened? He said, but now what I've come to believe is this. There's going to be people in heaven who are lined up to see us. And they're going to say, hey, what was it like to live in the last days? What was it like to see the Great Commission completed? What was it like? See, it's not an accident that you were born in this time in history. God has put you here for a time such as this. Are you sharing the gospel with your kids, with your neighbors, with coworkers, with your friends, with your family, with people? Number four, Jesus would say to us is this. Live with confidence. (laughs) Live with confidence. I love this. John chapter 16. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus goes, here's the whole reason I'm telling you all this. I want you to have peace in this world. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. (laughs) Jesus goes, I know you're going to have trouble in this world. And we all do. But he says, you take heart. I've overcome the world. I am greater than whatever you're facing. I am sovereign over all creation. I hold history in my hands. You take heart because I'm with you and I'm for you. You live with confidence. And knowing the end gives us confidence today. And then number five is this, engage in the battle. Engage in the battle. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Sound like our world today? People go, are we in the last days? I'm like, well, we're closer than we've ever been, you know. I mean, we are, we're getting close. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus goes, hey, your call is to stand firm. Your call is to hold on to me. Your call is to trust in me. Your call is to live your life for me. I'll handle all the details. I will work out all of history. You stay strong in me. So what's your battle plan? How are you living for the glory of God? In these few years that we have, as we've talked about, number one is pray. 
right? The four Ps, pray. Prayer demolishes strongholds. Start to recognize, you know, our battle's not against flesh and blood. And when you have an argument with your spouse, when you have an argument with your kids, when you have an argument at work, when you have disagreements, you go, wait a minute, this isn't just a flesh and blood thing. I need to pray. I need to pray for God to work. How are you growing in your prayer life? Secondly, it's prepare. Put on the full armor of God, right? Every morning when you wake up, just go, you know what? I'm going into battle today. I'm walking in. I'm going to be ready. Number three, protect. Protect. Take captive every thought that comes in your mind and in your heart. The battle is fought here and here. You know it. I know it. Take captive. Don't just let the seeds, don't let Satan get a foothold here or here. Confess it. Be honest. Be open. And then number four, progress. Move forward. Move the kingdom of God forward. This is our time. This is our call. This is our opportunity. We don't just sit back and go, well, I'm just going to wait for you know, God to come, and I'm just going to stay back here and live in fear. No, we're living in faith, and we're moving forward for the glory of God. God has called you, and God has called me to this time. May he find us faithful. You know, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he brought his disciples together, and he said, guys, come here, come here. And he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. My body broken for you, personal. After supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. My blood. It's the new covenant. You were under the old covenant when you sinned, when you messed up. You were far from God. But there's a new covenant now of grace and mercy. He said, when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to come to his table in remembrance. I'm going to invite some of our A6 leaders, some of our worship team. They're moving to the stage and moving to the tables right now. And this morning, we have the opportunity to, to come and share communion together. To come and to focus on what God has done and what God is doing. Now, when you come to the table this morning, I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit different. Hopefully, when you came in, you received some dog tags. Did everybody get some of these? If you didn't, there's some at the table. So when you come to take communion, you can pick up a set there. But I'm going to invite you to take the dog tags, and there's two of them there, to break the chain apart and to take one of the dog tags with you to communion. The other dog tag, I want to encourage you just to keep it with you. Maybe you want to put it on your keychain. Maybe you want to put it in your bathroom. Maybe you want to put it somewhere you see it. Hey, I'm in a battle. What's my plan? How am I living for the glory of God? How am I investing in my family? How am I investing in things that are going to last? But the other dog tag, I want you to bring to the table. There's six tables that are set up around the room. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables in the back. And when you come this morning, go to the table first and take a Sharpie and write your name on the back of the dog tag. And then on the table, there's a box. And if you just put your dog tag in there. And what this symbolizes is this, that we're dying to self. They take the dog tags off people when they die, right? We're dying to ourselves, and we're living for God. We're living our lives for Him. I'm going to put my name on here. I'm going to put it at the table. My life is not my own. But you know what else it symbolizes is this. We're not alone in the battle. We're a part of an army. 
We're a part of the body of Christ. And we hold one another accountable. We encourage one another. We lock arms together. You're fighting a battle personally, but you're not fighting alone because there's a God who is for you and there's a church that stands with you. And so as we come to the table, just write your name, put it in the box, and then go to the people that are there to serve. Take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you. Dip into the cup his blood poured out for you and receive the gift that only God can give. This is a time of commitment. This is a time of worship. This is a time of saying, God, I'm following you. I'm all in. Father, here we are, your disciples today. And Father, we know we're in a battle. <laughs> we see it all the time. We watch it on news stories that unfold. We see brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering around the world. And Father, we fight our own battles. We know we have an enemy who doesn't want us to succeed. And yet today, God, we come to your table to renew our commitment, to say that our faith and our trust is in you, that we are dying to our old life, and we are living the new life. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for making things so clear to us, God, that you are coming back. God, thank you that you're making all things new. And you'll wipe away every tear from her eyes. No more death or sorrow. Thank you for eternity that awaits. As we come to your table today, we receive the gift that only you could give. Your body broken for us. Your blood poured out for us. And we come with grateful hearts. And we come with passion and commitment. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And we come. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.